This is episode 255 with host of the Alley on the Run show, race announcer, and TEDx speaker, Allie Feller. Welcome to the Strength Running Podcast. I'm your host, Coach Jason Fitzgerald, and this episode features the host of one of the most popular running podcasts on the planet. She is a race announcer, and you can see her at the World Champs coming up very soon. And she's also a TEDx speaker, Allie Feller. We're going to be talking about what makes her so passionate about the running community, about runners, and more. Now, if you're new to the Strength Running Podcast, this show features training conversations, coaching calls, and experts in the running space to elevate your thinking about the sport. I want to help you make wiser decisions about your training so that you can keep improving. Because if you better understand the process of improvement, when you recognize knowledge as a competitive advantage, you'll be a much better runner. But Strength Running is not just a podcast. Don't miss our growing YouTube channel where we have hundreds of videos on injury prevention for runners, short strength workouts specific to running, how to deal with pre-race anxiety, and more. Go to youtube.com slash strengthrunning, subscribe, and you'll see every video that we publish. And of course, strengthrunning.com is where it all began. Since 2010, we have been helping runners around the world improve their performances with our award-winning blog, our free email courses on strength training, nutrition, injury prevention, and improving your mindset. Plus, all of Strength Running's training programs and coaching services to help you accomplish your biggest running goals. You can learn more about those at strengthrunning.com coaching. We are supported by Gnarly Nutrition. Use code GNARLY20 for 20% off site-wide at gonarly.com. Gnarly Nutrition understands runners because its team is filled with mountain athletes and runners just like you, with a full line of NSF-certified products that are natural, effective, and great-tasting. Gnarly is sure to be your go-to for protein powder, fuel, and more. Personally, their chocolate whey protein powder is, hands down, without any comparison, the best protein powder I've ever tasted. Check out all their goodies at gonarly.com and use code gnarly 20 to get 20% off your entire order. We're also supported by my favorite electrolyte company, Element. This summer, prevent the symptoms of electrolyte imbalances like headaches, cramps, fatigue, and weakness with Element. If you've eliminated most processed foods in your diet, then you're likely eliminating the largest source of sodium in your diet, according to the FDA. Get a free gift with your purchase at drinklmnt.com slash strengthrunning. They'll send you a sample pack with one packet of each flavor so you can try them out before committing. That's drinklmnt.com slash strengthrunning to claim your free gift. Now, if you love running podcasts, then our guest today likely needs no introduction. Allie Feller is the host of the Allie on the Run show, one of the most popular running podcasts in the world with hundreds of episodes and household name guests. She's also a race announcer, and you can see her at the World Champs this month, or you might have caught her recently with the Boston Athletic Association, co-hosting a series of conversations with pros like Des Linden and Nell Rojas. Allie is also a TEDx speaker, a marathoner, and one of the most upbeat people that you can find. Today, we're talking about how she got into running as an adult, what makes her love this sport and the running community so much, her insights into professional runners, and more. Without further delay, please enjoy my conversation with Allie Feller. All right, Allie, thanks for joining me. How are you today? I am wonderful. I'm so excited to get to talk with you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, after all these years, I cannot believe this is the first time we're sitting down to chat about running and podcasting and all the things that we do. I know you're going to have to try hard to limit me because I can nerd out with fellow podcasters for hours on end. So uh, yeah, excited to be here. Yeah, we'll try to keep it to about an hour, but I'm not going to cut you too short because I want to hear all your experiences, all of the wisdom that you've gained over the years because you've had so many conversations about running with so many different types of runners that I think you're just such an interesting person to talk to about this. Um, the other thing that I really admire about you is the energy you bring to the sport. And I, I want to start off just by asking you, what about running makes you so excited about it? The people. I think that 
So I was not a runner growing up. I was a dancer. Like running was not a part of my life. And on the one day it was, which was the presidential physical fitness test mile in fifth grade, it was the worst part of my day. It was the worst day of my year and of my entire like middle school existence. So now I think that because I got into it as an adult, I started running when I was like 23. I'm new to it. And I still consider myself new, uh, both as a runner and definitely as a fan of the sport. And I think it's such a cool place where the pros and the people at the front of the pack, we admire them, we look up to them, and then we're behind them. We're running the same races, we're doing the same things, and I'm never going to know what it feels like to break the tape. I'm never going to know how badly it hurts to run a 1500 in 358. That I can't relate to that, but I know how hard it hurts when I'm finishing up a mile on the roads and when I'm giving my all and when I've worked really hard to train for something. And so I think there are so many parallels that you don't get in a lot of other sports and activities. And I also love that everyone has a story of what brought them to running, like whether it's a professional athlete or an everyday athlete or a running podcaster, we all started for a reason. And I'm pretty obsessed with learning with what those reasons are. And so I just think there's limitless storytelling in running. And I think that's what gets me really excited. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head. Uh, I, I certainly want to ask you about your running origin story. Um, but first, I, I do want to note that what you just said about running so resonates with me because I think it is so amazing, just so cool that runners get to do almost the same thing that professionals get to do. We run the same course. We experience the same fans. You know, we cross the same finish line. Can you imagine if you got to go on the court after LeBron James left and, and play with the same ball, with the same fans going just as crazy for you as they did for LeBron James or Steph Curry. Like, it's insane. But we as runners get to experience that. That makes me so excited about the sport just by itself. I would even argue that sometimes it's the everyday runner that gets the bigger cheers at the races. Because when you go out and you watch, let's say, the New York City Marathon, there are people lining that course from the minute that course opens until it closes, right? The streets are packed. Having watched the race in every way possible, I've run it a bunch, I've announced it, I've volunteered, and I've spectated. I've seen it in a lot of different ways. And I will say that the thickest crowds are there for the four to five hour marathoners. They really are. They're out because they're looking for their friends because they know people. A lot of everyday people in New York City who are just trying to cross First Avenue that day and are like, well, there's a marathon. I guess I'll stay and cheer. They don't know Des Linden, Steph Bruce, Molly Seidel, but they probably have a coworker who's somewhere in the pack and they're going to stick around and cheer for them. And so I do think that's a cool thing too, is like, yes, you get to get on the court after LeBron and they bring in even more spectators. So, and that's different at every race, but certainly something I've seen at these bigger marathons where the biggest crowds are for the middle of the pack. And I think that is just the coolest thing. And credit where credit's due. The best signs out there on the race course are usually made for us, you know, adult recreational runners, not the professionals. So credit where credit's due. Thank you, all the friends of runners who have made the best signs out there. Yes, I amen. Now, Ali, you mentioned that you used to be a dancer. Um, that's not the full picture, right? You were a competitive dancer. I would love to know a little bit about how you went from being a competitive dancer, which I would love a, a definition. Tell me a little bit more about that. And then how you first got into running. Yeah. So dancer my whole life. I was, I grew up in New Hampshire, which is where I am back living now. And I dabbled in a lot of activities, as many kids do, and dance was the one that stuck. It was the one that I loved the most. And in fifth grade, I went to a dance studio where you could audition for the competition team. Dance competitions are, gosh, I hate to reference it, but if you've seen Dance Moms, it's that. It's these big organizations will come to your city or somewhere close to you, and for three days from like 7 a.m. until midnight – 
you perform. And so you have these routines that you've perfected at your studio and it's tap, it's jazz, it's ballet, it's musical theater. And within that, you can do a solo, a duo trio, a small group, a large group, a production, like there's a million tiers. And I think at my peak, I was competing in about 13 to 15 numbers on any given weekend. So power to my parents for putting up with that. But yeah, you go on stage, you perform and you do your best, which can look different on any given day. Just like with running, you put in all the training, but you might have a bad race. In competitive dance or in any performance setting, you might go out there and you might fall out of your pirouette. You might bump into one of your teammates on stage and that's a deduction. And there's a panel of judges who are watching you and scoring you. And they are actually, they have microphones in front of them. And as you're dancing, they are talking into the microphones, into a recording, and they will say, a uh, girl third from the left fell out of her turn. Okay. The girl second from the right, I noticed that your shoe looks like it's about to come untied. That's a deduction. So, I mean, they are picking you apart and it's all in the pursuit of perfection, which is an arbitrary definition because dance is subjective, right? There's not perfection on something like that. And so I very much grew up both being fueled by competition. I loved competing. I loved performing. I credit dance competitions with giving me a lot of the confidence that I think that I have today is I got used to working hard for something and seeing what I could do on a stage and being critiqued and wanting to get better. And, you know, so much of what I talk to people about now, to these professional athletes is like, you know, you train with your training partners, but when you're racing, you want to beat them. And it took me a long time to realize I kind of did that too with dancing. Like I loved my teammates. I loved the girls from other studios and I respected them and I wanted to beat them. And so there are a shocking number of parallels. And I, so I, that was my life. Dance was everything. I danced through high school. I was the captain of my dance team in college, but the goal was never to go pro. I mean, I wasn't good enough. Like, yes, here in, in New Hampshire, I was a good little tap dancer, but I knew that professional dancing was not the dream, was not the goal uh, for a lot of reasons. And so I moved to New York City after college to work for a dance magazine. That was the dream. I was a writer and I I couldn't afford a gym and I didn't want to keep taking dance classes, nor could I afford them. And my roommate, who was a, we call ourselves the Craigslist success story because we met on Craigslist, became roommates. She had medals hanging on her bedroom wall. I had never seen such a thing. And I was kind of joking, but on the day I moved in, I was like, oh, I love your necklaces. Like, cool. What a statement you're making with those. And she explained that those are race medals. I had never even heard about half marathons. It was my very first time. I had heard of marathons, but I had never heard the term half marathon. And she explained that she's a grown-up who runs for fun. And she's not a professional athlete. She just enjoys running. And I was like, that makes no sense. And then (laughs) I tried it. No, Uh, it barely does. (laughs) Yeah, it still doesn't make a lot of sense. And yet here we are. So I, I mean, I give her all the credit in the world. It was really that roommate that taught me what running was. The first day I decided to go for a run, I wore my jazz sneakers, which are the shoes you wear when you're dancing. Like there's no grip. They're made so you can do pirouettes and leaps and all kinds of tricks as a dancer, not for running. And as soon as she saw me go out the doors and though, she was like, oh, absolutely not. Let's go to a run specialty store. And they put me on a treadmill and I got fitted and got my very first pair of Brooks Adrenalines because I think that's what they put everyone in for their first shoe in 2008. And I was hooked. Every day I wanted to run a little bit further. And I had a big goal of one day running to the dog park, which was a mile from our apartment. And so I did that and ran there and back. I didn't have a dog. I was just weird. And I liked to watch other people's dogs. So that was the goal. (laughs) And it spiraled from there. And here we are. Here we are. Created a monster. I know, 14 years later. And could you ever imagine that you would be this immersed in the sport of running 14 years ago when you tried to go for a run in your dancing shoes? No, because I didn't know any of this existed. I mean, certainly I didn't I didn't really understand races. The first race I think I probably ever saw was in 2008. I had a coworker who was running the New York City Marathon. 
And I happened to be moving that day. And I I have pictures. I took, I cut out the side of a box, one of my moving boxes, and I wrote Go Therese Go with my Sharpie that I was using to label stuff. And we I lived on the Upper East Side and we ran out to the race course and saw her coming up Fifth Avenue, held our signs, and then I went back to keep moving. So yeah, I didn't really, I didn't know anything that I'm doing now. I didn't know any of it existed then. So no, this all comes as a big shock to me and definitely a shock to my parents who raised a little dancer girl who is now obsessed with running. Go figure. (laughs) It's so funny that you tried to go for a run in your dancing shoes because when I first got into the sport myself, I went out for the cross country team as a freshman in high school and I showed up in huge baggy mesh basketball shorts and basketball shoes thinking that I would actually high jump because cross country is like track. And obviously I was more wrong than I ever thought I could be. But again, look at us now. I just something about it got us hooked. And and I know what hooked me on the sport. What was it about running where, you know, you went for that first run, you got fitted for those shoes. Was it just wanting to go see the dogs at the dog park? I mean, what made you so interested in running as soon as you started? I think, well, I've always loved sweating. I, as a dancer, something about a good sweat has always made me feel very alive. And it's funny because when you ask that question, and if you ask me now what I love about running, I'm immediately going to say it's the community. It's the people. It's, it's everything about the people that make this sport what it is. But when I was starting, I didn't know that that was a thing. And I think what fueled me at the beginning was the solo pursuit that if I want to do this, if I want to run from this lamppost to that one, which is how I measured my runs, it was on me. It, there was no one who was going to help me. No one was going to push me or pull me. It was how far can I go today? I have always been very internally motivated or intrinsically motivated. So I think that was a part of it of like, what can I, Allie Feller, do out here? How far can I go? What limits can I push? And and my relationship with running has evolved a lot, right? That to me now, I'm like, oh, that's not really, that doesn't motivate me. Now it's like, I want to run a race so I can see my friends and see people. So it's changed. But I do think early on, it was it was that. It was my, me wanting to see what I could do without any help, without, you know, I'm a little stubborn. So that all makes sense looking back. <laughs> it's funny, Ali. I, I see a lot of myself in you too. Uh, also quite stubborn. And I actually really enjoyed that aspect of running myself when I first got into the sport. I loved that. I knew that if I put in the work, I would get the results. It was up to me. It was a very independent sport. It was also very objective. And I liked that coming from a basketball background because, you know, sometimes I felt like we lost a game because of some of my teammates, or I didn't get put in the game, even though I thought I should be put in the game, or, well, I didn't get the ball passed to me. And there was all these things outside of my control. And maybe it was my desire for control that led me to really enjoy the sport of running. And I just think it's fascinating that you're coming from uh, this team sport, this competitive dancing, uh, these competitions where you're out there with, I don't know if teammates is the right word, but members of your dance group. And you know, you're being judged and critiqued very subjectively, very different than running. And then you get into a sport that is so different in how it's judged. Uh, I, I think those parallels are just really interesting. Uh, but I'm curious if, if dancing prepared you in any way for the sport of running, because I know they're very different. You have mentioned confidence. Maybe we could talk a little bit more about that. Yeah, that's the biggest one is uh, being on stage since I was in kindergarten, because I started dancing as a kindergartner. I started competing in fifth grade, but even in kindergarten, we would have a year-end recital. We would have holiday performances. We would perform at the local parades. We performed at a lot of old folks' homes. Um, I think there was just like a shortage of performance venues in New Hampshire that we ended up doing a lot of that. Uh, So we were always performing And I will say a lot of it is just, I loved it, right? No one had to convince me to go out on stage. I wasn't the shy kid hiding in the wings. I was the annoying girl who would elbow the girl next to me if she messed up the moves. Like I was not, I wouldn't have wanted to be friends with me. I'm pretty uptight. Um, I didn't like if you messed up the choreography, don't bring the whole group down, you know? Uh, By the time I got older, I was nicer. Um, 
But as a young kid, I was like, you messed up. Like just no social societal norms really hadn't figured that out. But yeah, being able to try to figure something out, because I think a part of it with dancing too is you have a teacher, right? In sports, it's your coach. In dance, it's your dance instructor. And they are giving you choreography, seeing your potential. They know what you can and can't do, just like your coach can say, well, I know you're capable of running these times. My dance teacher would say, Allie, Al- I was Allison at the time, hadn't uh, hadn't become Allie yet. And they would say, okay, you're nailing the double pirouette every time. I think you can go for a triple. And I'm like, no, 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 I can't do it. I, I don't know. Yeah, I'll try. And then you know, you work toward it. And so there is a practice involved. Um, I know in running, we don't call it practice, but right, it, training is practice. We're practicing running. And so I think that's a big part of it is just learning to get better at something and knowing that not every time you go out there is the time you're going to nail it, right? Not every race is going to go perfect. It took me a long time to learn that lesson because as a new runner, every race was a personal best. I just got faster by running more and by doing distances I hadn't done. Like, oh, first 10K, automatic PR. Second 10K, well, now I kind of know what to do and what not to do, PR. And in dance, it's a lot of practicing and a lot of rehearsal and a lot of teamwork. And sometimes you nail it and sometimes you don't. So dealing with that disappointment, um, the confidence piece I think that I have, I've always been confident in terms of being in front of crowds and being in front of groups. And I have always cared about what other people think, um, which is kind of takes us down a different road. But I will say that um, growing up, I cared a lot about what people thought. I always wanted to make people happy. And with dance, I was like, oh, I can make people happy. I can perform and they'll like that and it'll make the audience happy. Or I can wow the judges and they'll love it. Um, And I do see that still being something in my career, not me as a runner, but I do see that. um, Yeah, I see that coming out. But the confidence, I think, I've always had it as a performer, and I think what I was getting at is I also still have imposter syndrome in a lot of the things that I do. I think that's true for anybody, but yeah. I think it's clear listening to you is is that you know dance gave you a, a clear growth mindset and, and a comfort with failure. You know, and I think both are absolutely imperative for runners because if you're not comfortable pushing the envelope, you're never going to improve, and if you're never comfortable failing you're never going to be comfortable being a runner because you you fail like half the time that you go out there, you know, half your races, half your workouts are just not going to be as great as you were hoping them to be. And I'm also curious about the fact that, you know, with dancing and, and even looking back in my own history with getting into the sport basketball, you know, those sports are, are probably not what you would consider like super challenging from a discomfort perspective. You know, you're not uncomfortable playing a game of basketball like you are when you're running a race and you're probably not uncomfortable the whole time that you're doing uh, a certain dance piece. And I just wonder, like, running can be so hard. (laughs) Do, Do you think that's a part of what makes it so exciting? The fact that it's not easy and it takes all this work, but once that it does start to feel a little bit more comfortable, there's something really powerful in that. Oh, yeah. It's so satisfying, right? Um, I like the pain a little bit. Um, You know, I think a lot of runners were a little sick in that way. Uh, And I was like that with dancing. Like, I, gosh, I look back and my junior year, I, it was a busy competition weekend. We had a lot of routines. We didn't, I didn't have time to do a proper warm up. And they're literally calling our team name, like announcing us to come on stage. And I was like, I didn't have time to stretch. Let me just pop into my splits real quick. So just going from standing and just doing a split on the ground, right side, done. I go into my left side and I hear a pop and I tore my hamstring, like didn't warm up, dropped into a split, tore my hamstring, still went on stage, still performed and performed the entire weekend with a torn hamstring. And I don't recommend that. It's terrible advice. Don't ever do it. Don't don't push through that level of pain. Um, I don't know that there's a good takeaway there, except that I like to think I have a relatively high threshold for physical pain. I also have Crohn's disease and so I, and I've had it since I was seven. And so 
physical pain I can tolerate. Emotionally, I will say that I still struggle with that. Like when I'm running a race, any distance, the minute that it starts to hurt, which in a 5K is minute one, I am like seriously psyching myself out. I'm telling myself I can't do it. Um, so I still struggle there with the the mental component of like, ooh, I'm hurting and this is hard. And I don't mean I'm hurting, I'm injured. I mean, I'm hurting, I'm working hard. Um, I'm not good at that yet. That's something that takes time to to get used to. And, and I think like any, I think it's a muscle and like any muscle, it can become atrophied and built up just even over the course of a couple of weeks or a couple of months. You know, one of the things I like to tell runners is that if, if you're uncomfortable running races, go run a bunch of 5Ks, run four 5Ks in a month and just get comfortable racing every week. And then by the end of the month, you'll probably be like, all right, just another race. I know this is going to hurt. I'm going to be in pain. It's going to be very uncomfortable. But you just resign yourself to accept it. And, and that actually gives you a lot of power because then you're not freaking out so much about the race. It's not this novel feeling. It's, well, it's just racing and I've been doing it so frequently. Um, Ali, I'm really curious to ask you about, you know, you're a great example of someone who has gotten hooked on the sport as an adult. You now you're completely immersed in the sport. You, you love the community. You love that feeling of, of working hard. How do you think we could bottle up some of that feeling to help grow the sport? And I know you're someone who does a lot of race announcing too. And, and so you are, you are there with, runners with people who support runners. And I'm just curious if you have any perspectives on how we can take the fact that running can be so exciting and such a somewhat of a healthy addiction and, and use that to bring more people into the sport because I would love to do that. Yeah. Buddy up. I think that the best way to get more people on the run and at races is by finding a friend, right? Like we're always going to take word of mouth recommendations for anything, right? Like we can Google what are the best running podcasts and we'll get a million different articles with a million different suggestions. But let's be honest, I'm going to listen to the one that my friend who I trust and know and love and has already done that research, the one that she says I should listen to. So when she's like, oh, you've got to listen to Strength Running, I'm like, perfect. Download, done. I got into running and this sport because my roommate introduced me. I have, yeah, through the podcast now, but like I convinced she's my best friend now. And we were coworkers at Dance Spirit, the magazine we worked at. And I was like, you should run this race with me. It was my first race, however many years ago. It's four miles in Central Park. It's low key. It's super fun. And she was like, okay. So it's, I think a lot of is the, is the, if you can do it, so can I kind of thing. And start small and start local. Like do your local, convince a, a group of people you work with to form a team. And in October, do your local breast cancer walk run 5K in the town, right? Like just, I don't know. I'm, I'm like, use positive peer pressure and bring people in and show them that it's fun. Like once we've been in the sport, once we've been doing it for a bit, we tend to, and I say we because I've done it and I know a lot of people who have, we overcomplicate running. We buy the watches and we buy all the gear and the electronics. And yes, all of that can help us. But I know when I started running, what I loved was how simple it was. It was just going out the door. I didn't care how far I went. Like, yes, I cared about the dog park, but I didn't care if it was 0.98 miles or 1.02 or one on the dot. Like, I didn't care. I wasn't uploading it. It it certainly wasn't for Instagram, which I don't think existed at the time. And it was just for the pure love of it. I also think that is so important is do it if you love it, right? Like I hate when people say things like, I have to run, I have to do this, I have to do that. Like, oh my gosh, no, it's so fun. It's so fun. Like, and if it's not fun, do something else for a day or for a month or whatever break you need. But I think that the key to bringing people in is showing them that it's fun and showing them how good they will feel when they do it. And knowing that not everyone wants to run. I hear from people all the time who are like, I really want to be a runner, but I hate running. 
And so it's like, okay, let's walk, let's walk through this. Let's unpack this. Well, step one, what do you hate about it? It's too hard. I'm out of breath right away. Slow down. Maybe make your first mile a downhill and ease into it a little. Like there's ways to work with that. But if they've done all those things and they still hate running, don't run. Do Zumba. Do Pilates. Do any other thing. Um, I care a lot about people finding movement that feels good for them. And I care a lot about peer pressuring my friends into running races with me. So it's both. (laughs) Both things. Yeah, a little bit of both. That's a healthy balance. And yeah, I really agree with you there. Like I always say I'm not in the business of making sure that runners love running. That sort of has to come from within. And I think your advice on on how to grow the sport and really just how how to get hooked on running is really great. It's almost like the one-two punch of first get people to get you hooked on the sport. You know, friends will lure you into the sport almost for an easy run or get you to sign up for a 5K. And if the peer pressure lasts long enough that you actually run frequently enough where you can start to feel that progress where, hey, I'm getting better. I can actually run a little bit longer than I used to be able to. Running isn't so hard every single time I go out there and I'm getting faster when I do try to run a little bit harder. Then I think a lot of that intrinsic motivation starts to come out because that was my story too. You know, when I showed up for that first practice and basketball shoes and could not finish that 2.9 mile run around town and I felt like I'd been run over by a truck for a week afterward, I almost quit the sport. And thankfully, I had a lot of positive peer pressure around me, Uh, not to mention the fact that just the guys on the team were hilarious. And I was like, this is a great, fun group of people to hang out with every day. And that got me over that initial hump of running is difficult. And then as soon as running gets a little bit easier, you're like, wow, I'm doing things I never even thought were possible. And that, I think, is is super exciting. And, And I also wonder, too you know, we're talking a lot about this. And, you know, this is a good example of like type two fun, fun that is kind of difficult when you're doing it. And you're not really excited right beforehand to start it. But then as soon as it's over, you're so grateful that you did it. And I just wondered, have you found in all your conversations with hundreds of runners over the years, you know, if type two fun is something that really appeals to a certain personality type? And we as runners, you know, very often fit that personality type where we like to sweat, we like to a little bit of discomfort, you know, you've mentioned that earlier in the conversation. And in the same way, too, like, I feel a little cranky, if I don't get out there and get my run in and and feel a little bit of that physical work. And I just wonder if there's anyone who's like that, but doesn't do it with running, they're probably a good candidate for running, right? Yeah, I also think, yes, there are so many of us who love We love a training plan. We love to follow instructions. We are very good at being told what to do and then executing. There are also people who are the opposite of that. There are people who just want to go out the door at different times every day. And maybe one day they run two miles and the next they run 19. Like, I think that's part of what makes running so wonderful is it can be whatever you want it to be, right? Like, We can use dance or basketball as examples here where it's like, well, basketball is pretty clear, right? The goal is to win the game. There you go. Hone your skills, beat your opponents, win the game. But with running, it's like, okay, what is your goal? Do you want to get faster? Do you want to run further? Do you want to explore the world by foot? Do you want to make friends? Do you want to be part of a team? Do you want it to be a solo endeavor? I think that's what's so special about this is you can customize it to be whatever you want. There are days where I'm like, I am not getting out the door by myself. I only want to run with friends today. There are days where I'm like, I need to be alone. No one talk to me. There are days where I'm like, you know, it would feel good running uphill for a while. And other days where I'm like, give me the flattest land that exists in this state. Some days I'm really motivated to train for a race and other days racing is not a part of my life at all. And I just think that that is what is so, I think a lot of people who don't run look at running and think that looks hard. That doesn't look fun. Runners don't look, they're not smiling, standing on the crosswalk. That doesn't look like a good time, but you can make it whatever you want it to be. And 
yeah, there are rules when it comes to racing, rules that are in place for our safety and that make a lot of sense. But the sport of running, not that many rules. Yeah, you can make it very adaptable to whatever your needs might be, whatever your desires are. And I think that's one of the reasons why I really love the sport too, is because, you know, if you want to be a a short distance, very fast kind of person, that's great. If you want to try trail running or obstacle course racing, there's so many, even within the formal side of things, you know, even when it comes to racing, there's so many different types of races and you can train for so many different things and get in different types of fitness that I think it's just so endlessly fascinating. And it's also one of those sports that you can do almost anywhere by yourself or with friends. You don't need a lot of equipment. And that has always been so attractive to me because, you know, I'm a, I'm a simple guy. You know, I'm a man of convenience. I just like to have a pair of short shorts and a pair of shoes and, and I can run anywhere. And that to me is, is almost like the ultimate freedom. Yeah, I agree. That's also, and I always ask this of people, like usually when I do live shows and there's an audience, I'm like, okay, you're going on vacation. What's the first thing that you do when you're planning? And everyone will say, running routes. Like we plan our vacations around where can I run? That's why I'm like, not a big Disney person because running around the Disney parks is not ideal. There's just not a lot of great running routes down in Disney. And so I always think it's fun to, you know, use a vacation and find where you can run and, you know, do it early. Don't inconvenience the family. Don't take away from the fun time. I'm all about that too. But I think that is, that's my favorite thing to do on vacation is explore the area by foot. You have just triggered an old memory of mine from, I think, my sophomore or junior year of high school, where this is the last time I went to Disney World, and I was a a runner at the time. I was a runner in high school, and I remember doing mile repeats in the dark at like six in the morning in a parking lot at Disney World, you know, just sort of like guessing at the distance because it was way before GPS watches, thinking to myself, why am I doing this? This is the most boring workout of all time. I should be sleeping in because we're going to Disney World later. But you know, I was such a running geek that had to get in the workout that day. And yeah, yeah, Disney World, not the best place to do your training, is it? No. And (laughs) and I love that. Um, I forget I it was when I had just gotten into distance running, I was still working at the dance magazine. And every summer we would go to Florida for like a week because there were all these dance competitions down there. And I oh, gosh, now I forget the name of the resort. I want to say it was something Springs. I don't remember. But it was like at the front desk, they were like, oh, yes, here's a map of our running trail. And it was like 0.3 miles, like the whole loop, 0.3. I was like, oh, this is going to be a problem. (laughs) That's not a running trail. I did a lot of loops. (laughs) Yeah. Allie, I want to talk a little bit more about your podcast, Allie on the Run. You have one of the best running podcasts out there. I love it because it's very different than mine. And I want to talk a little bit more about what you're trying to do with the show. It is so fascinating. What is? Do you have a goal or a mission with Ali on the Run? I know that I should. And this is the part where I should give you my like three sentence mission statement. But I don't. And I never have. And in the show, and I've always just wanted to have fun with it. It's I joke all the time that it's a selfish endeavor, and I think that's true. I am inviting people on the show that I am curious about and that I want to talk to and that I want to hear more more about and that I think other people might find interesting too. And so that's it. That's the goal is to learn more people's stories and to share them and to have fun and make people happy and make people feel something. That's it. I got to clean that up and make that a better mission statement, but that's the gist. That's pretty good though. And you know, it's fascinating. I always think that, you know, people like us who have started running podcasts and or running blogs or whatever, it's so interesting because our projects are very much almost extensions of our personality. You know, it very much is structured in a way that works for the host and really gives you a glimpse into their personality. And you're someone who loves the running community and you're intensely curious about people. And that really comes across in your podcast because that's exactly what you're doing. You're getting to know all these different people within the running community. And that innate curiosity really comes across 
in your show. Whereas, you know, of course the strength running podcast, a little bit different. I definitely focus more on the training side of things because I'm a huge running geek and I've always loved reading those boring training books about workouts and physiology and exercise science. And so my show is a little bit more of an extension of my selfish interests because I want to sit down with physical therapists and, and all these interesting people and just pick their brain on the sport and what works and what doesn't work. So I always think it's interesting to talk to folks like you because our projects are so different and they are very much extensions of us. And I think, well, I know, I mean, we both know both are needed and there is massive audiences for both. And there's an overlap, which I think is so cool. There are people who some days they're like, no, I really need some training tips. I need to like, I need to nerd out on numbers and data and I need some really concrete advice. And then there's people who are like, I just want to zone out to some fluff today. I'm going to turn on Allie. And I am happy to be like, I, I joke all the time that I ask fluffy questions but I'm happy doing that. And it took me a little while to realize that that was okay. I think I would joke and be like, oh, you know, and I still make this joke of I'm like, oh, I went like I majored in journalism and I worked for many well-respected publications for a very long time. And now I ask professional runners, what's your favorite pasta shape? But I'm having so much fun with it. And a lot of great conversations come out of that. A few weeks ago, I asked a guest, what's your favorite pasta shape? And it led into a beautiful story about what her grandmother made for her growing up. And her grandmother has since passed away. And now she's passing these recipes down to her family. And I'm like, oh my gosh. And so those are the stories that I live for. And that's just, that's what fuels me is hearing those. And we laugh a lot and sometimes we cry. Um, on today's episode, there's quite a bit of crying, not for me, for a change from the guest. Usually I'm the one crying, but yeah, I think there's a range of human emotion and I like tapping into as much of that as I can. Well, I think you're excellent at it and it's what makes your podcast really stand out. I think what you do really well is humanize elite athletes, you know, these people who all of us sort of put on this pedestal and, you know, you make them seem like regular people just like us, because honestly, they are just like us. You know, they're a little bit faster. They approach the sport a little bit differently sometimes, but almost everything else about, you know, what they're thinking, how they're feeling, especially during a race or during practice it is very similar to, to other runners. And, you know, frankly, I find that to be a huge source of encouragement for, for us because, they're going through a lot of the same things that we are and you're sharing those stories and making them more like us regular folks. Um, I'm curious though, you know, with all your conversations with, with pro runners over the years, uh, can you talk a little bit about how they think about their training? You know, how they productively think about their training, because I think we can certainly learn from their mindsets. And, and I just wonder if there are any differences in how they approach things from a psychological perspective that we might be able to learn from. Oh, yeah. The biggest takeaway that I have gleaned from the professional athletes I've had on the show, and this is, I guess, less about the training and more about race day, but I still think it's helpful, is about controlling the controllables. And I am someone who likes to control everything, especially what I can't control. And when I'm in those situations, I get really stressed and really worked up and I'm not fun to be around. Hearing all of these professional athletes talk about controlling the controllables has had a massive impact on me because I usually ask something like, you know, when you're lining up on the start line, what's going through your mind? Are you looking at the runner to your right and left and are you saying like, okay, I know their personal best is this. I know she's got the best kick. So I want to make sure that with 800 meters to go, I'm ahead of her. Like, how much do you know about your competitors? And almost all of them say, I am only focused on myself. I cannot control what Kira is going to do out there. I can only control what I, Molly, am going to do out there. And so that I think has been a really helpful takeaway for me in life, right? That, I mean, that transcends running of that. Don't don't focus on things you can't control. It's a waste of your time and a waste of your energy. A more recent thing that's come up a lot that is both in training and in racing is all of the professional women I've talked to recently have been bringing up how much better they are running and racing when they are happier in their lives. 
I have talked to people who have left their training groups, who have left their coaches that they were with for a long time, who have moved, who have come out. Massive life changes in the pursuit of happiness off the run and then seeing how that translates on the run. And so many of them say, I'm running better because I feel lighter, because a weight is lifted, because I am happier. And I think that connection between our lives outside of running and the way that it bleeds into our running, I mean, I can think of a million examples of times I've had awful runs or races because I was not in a great place. And don't get me wrong, for a very long time, my half marathon personal best from 2011 was fresh off a breakup and I trained fueled by, I would say, vodka and late nights at bars in New York City. Like not (laughs) optimal, (laughs) but I was running, I had a mission and I was out there and I was like, this is for me. This is like, I was the epitome of every Kelly Clarkson and Carrie Underwood song on that race course. So yes, sometimes revenge running totally works. But one thing I'm hearing a lot, and maybe it's just that we are more comfortable now and in society talking about mental health and mental wellness that people are sharing these stories. But man, people are talking a lot about racing better when they feel happier, when they feel lighter, when they feel more at ease. And I think that is a really, really key takeaway that the everyday runner or the amateur runner can apply. There's so much truth in that because, you know, stress is stress. And if you're dealing with a lot on your plate outside of running, it's going to be really hard to focus on your training, especially if you are someone like a pro runner or even just a a competitive runner who cares about their weekly mileage and running PRs and, you know, the whole training side of things, because training can be hard. You know, we talked a little bit about how, you know, you're, you're doing uncomfortable things. You certainly feel on a lot of the days of the week because you have a big workout or a long run or a race, or maybe you're just running every day or you're running double sessions. You know, it just becomes this big thing in your life. And I wonder too, you mentioned you've talked to a lot of women who have experienced this. And I wonder too, if there's been a bigger push over the last maybe decade or so to treat women as Stacey Sims might say, unlike small men. Because I had Molly Huddle on the podcast recently to talk about uh, her late, her latest book, and you know all about how there are so many obstacles in the way for female athletes. And I wonder now, do you think there are more support systems in place for female athletes so that they can better self actualize and just realize their potential? Because they're not in a toxic training group. They're not trying to mold themselves to training patterns that might be more beneficial for men, where they just have the support of other women and also women coaches and physical therapists and and other uh, experts around them to support them in this journey? Yeah, I would say yes and no. I think that are the conversations being had? Yes. Is change happening? Yes, and you know, I one of the races I'm announcing later this year is the Boston Women's 10K in October. And they just announced yesterday that they have a breast pump partner for the race and that at the start and finish lines, they will have a tent for mothers who need to pump. And they will have all the facilities there that these women need so that they can focus on their race and not have to be sitting in the middle of a field with a breast pump, right? Awesome. So there are great strides being made for things like that. And it's not an easy time to be a woman right now. There are a lot of big conversations happening in our country right now, which we don't need to get into because I think everyone's aware. But like, as a woman, it sometimes feels like our rights are under attack. And we say stress is stress. That is stress, right? Like, okay, cool. There's a tent at this start line where I can pump as needed. I love it. I appreciate it. And what rights will I have a week from now? And so I I think um, it's not necessarily an easy time to be a woman or to be a mother. And within the running community, I do think that there is great progress being made. We can look at all of the brands just in the past year that came out with shoes designed specifically for women's feet, starting with Allison Felix and Sage. And then we saw Lululemon did it and now Puma. And so 
yes, we are being treated less like small men, which is great and which we love and appreciate. Um, and there's still work to do. So um, I, you know, I, I try to be patient. I am in a great position in which I get a lot of feedback, whether it's through the podcast or I get to work with a lot of different organizations as a race announcer. And I get to hear a lot of behind the scenes conversations. And so I will say, I know that a lot of organizations within running are trying really hard. I see a lot of them making the push. Um, I think in the last three years, let's say there have been a lot of uncomfortable conversations in the running industry at large, which is never fun. But I think good is coming from those. I think we're seeing a running industry and community that is better represented. I think that we are seeing more equal prize money, more prize money in different divisions. Like all of these things are great. So it's like, yes, I applaud those. I cheer for those. We appreciate those. And there's still work to do. So um, it's both. It's everything. It's it's complicated, I guess. For sure. <laughs> and what do you think people like us, besides having more of those difficult conversations, which I think as podcasters, we're uniquely prepared to do, what do you how, what do you, else can we do to further support you know this movement besides those difficult conversations because i think there's so much to be done like you said yeah i mean i'm i am certainly no expert on this and i will not pretend i'm good at the difficult conversations there's still a lot that i shy away from there's still a lot where i'm like no i got this and then i back off from asking the hard question i wanted to ask and um i think a lot of it comes back to still wanting to be a people pleaser and be well liked and so I'm not great at this, right? Like I have a lot of work to do and I am working on this. I think in terms of making running a more inclusive, welcoming, happy, friendly space that more people want to join, our role, as I see it, is to share all of the stories. Uh, you know, when I looked back at my first few years on the Alley on the Run show, it was not a diverse place. I would say... A lot of people looked at the lineups of guests I was putting out and did not feel seen or represented. And that is feedback I have taken to heart and that matters a lot to me. And so I think the way we have these platforms, right? And I come back to something Allison Wade, who does the Fast Women newsletter, she shared with me something and I credit her with this. And then she always corrects me and is like, actually, someone else said it to me. So it's coming down a couple chains here. But she talked about how when it comes to professional athletes, especially, there are athletes who get to share their story all the time, right? We all reach out to Kara Goucher, to Shalane Flanagan, to Molly Seidel, to Kira D'Amato. We all want to talk to them, rightfully so. They're amazing. Then there are athletes, professional and non-professional, who never get asked to share their story, who never have a platform with which to impact people with their words. And we have the platform. So I think we get to be really mindful in who we're choosing to invite into these spaces. And I think good comes from that. And so that's a responsive, I've, I've tried to see that as more of a responsive of responsibility um, and do my best with that. And again, I am not perfect. I'm not great. I, I'm doing my best and my best isn't always good enough, but I want people to come to your show and come to my show and come to all of the great running podcasts out there and know that there is something for them and that they are wanted here. Unless they're awful people or like serial killers, um, then no. <laughs> serial no. killers need not apply. Yes. Uh, but other than that, you know, we want um, we want good people in this running community that's always going to make it better. And so I think that's where we literally have microphones and we get to share them. And that is a pretty awesome opportunity for us. I agree with you there. And and of course, I know you're not an expert on this topic. And nevertheless, I wanted your opinion on it. And I think all of us here, this is a difficult conversation for all of us to have. I'm glad we're having it. We're not perfect. And I think we are applying some of the lessons we've learned from running, this growth mindset to our role within the running industry. And I think that is uh, an important piece of this. If we're just looking to improve, then I think that's a, a very good thing for runners and the running community itself. Um, Allie, what is next for you and your podcast? Are you running any races coming up? What's, what's going on in your life? I am not running any races 
for a while um, because I am too busy talking at them and about them. Um, immediately next for me this weekend, this upcoming weekend from when we're talking, I will be doing a few, hosting a few panels and being the start and finish line announcer at the BAA 10K, which is very fun because my co-announcer is Molly Huddle, which we're going to have oh, so much so fun. fun. Yes. Um, amazing pro fields. Actually, we just got a release today. They just added Kira D'Amato to the women's pro field. Um, we're going to have some great races, and I'm really excited to be in Boston this weekend. I was lucky to get to do some stuff at the Boston Marathon in April and now have a relationship with the BAA, and they asked me to do this, which is cool. And then, gosh, I do that. I have one weekend where I'm actually home, and then I am off to Eugene, where I will be at World Championships for most of the month of July, um, not in an alley on the run show capacity. I am actually there as an official member of the media operations team. I will be hosting all of the press conferences with the medalists. So anytime someone medals at World Championships uh, in the distance events and the track events and the field events... I will be the one sitting with them at the press conference and calling on journalists in the audience and asking some of my questions. And I have no experience doing that. I am the newest person on the team. We had our kickoff call yesterday and everyone is like, I worked these 19 Olympics and I've done this and I've done this. Like, It was like they were speaking another language. And I was like, I'm the host of the Alley on the Run show. I love short walks on the beach and mimosas. Like, What am I doing here? It was the ultimate imposter syndrome. Um, and what an opportunity. I'm going to learn so much and it's cool. I'm trying something new. And I think from that, I'll get to decide, is this something I enjoy doing? And if so, I can throw my hat in the ring when opportunities like that arise. And if not, I never have to do it again. So I will be pretty much living in Eugene this summer. Well, let me just say as a fan of the sport, I think it's great that the sort of formal competitive professional side of the sport is taking people from the fun side of the sport, you know, us running podcasters and, and marrying the two because you are then bringing your audience to Eugene. You get to take them along with you. You get to talk about it on the podcast, share it on social media. So in terms of opportunities to grow the sport, I think bringing people from other sort of interesting niche areas of the sport like podcasting into these areas that are a little bit more professional, a little bit more buttoned up, you know, you might feel that imposter syndrome, but I think it's wonderful. And I think it's such a, a, a powerful way to gain visibility and to make the sport a little bit lighter, a little bit more fun to inject a little bit more personality into it. So I absolutely love that. And I hope you have a great time. One of my goals is to make it to a big race where you are announcing the start and finish line, because I want to experience that energy right there because Lord knows you're bringing it. All right. Well, let's get you signed up. I have a lot of races I'm announcing in the rest of this year. So I want to call out your name at a finish line. That'll be fun for both of us. Can you get me into next month at Eugene? Can I, can I be like an unattached what, runner? Yeah, what event do you want to do? You know, I'll see what I can do. <laughs> Maybe something short so I don't get lapped like four times. Okay. How do you feel about hurdles? <laughs> I did the steeplechase uh, many times, so Great. maybe I can do that. All right. Let's see what we can do. You can be my plus one. <laughs> if this happens, my God, it would be amazing. But <laughs> I shouldn't make promises I can't keep. I'm the new kid. I'm the, I, I don't even know if they're going to let me in. Let's be honest. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm joking un until you're serious, and then I'm not joking anymore. <laughs> <laughs> we'll circle back on that. Well, Allie, thanks so much for spending some time with me today. This was really fun getting to know you and your story and what motivates you and more about Allie on the run. Congrats on everything you've built. You've been enormously successful and I can't wait to continue following along over the next five, 10 plus years. Well, mutual admiration, my friend. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you for all that you do to elevate this sport and to elevate the running podcast space and making us all want to be better at what we do. So keep it up. Thank you, Allie. Thanks for listening in, my friends. If you found value in this episode, I would so appreciate a review in Apple Music or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you love this podcast, please consider supporting our sponsors who help make it possible. I'm excited to introduce Gnarly Nutrition. What an amazing brand name, but they don't just sound great. 
They make amazing nutrition products to help athletes like you optimize their diet, feel smarter, and reach new heights in training. Their chocolate whey protein powder blows my mind. I know I talk about it all the time, but it's the tastiest protein powder I've ever had. I mix it with almond milk, and it's just amazing how creamy and sweet it tastes. You can try it along with anything else at gonarly.com at 20% off with discount code gnarly20. Gnarly is a trusted supplier of nutrition products to athletes because all of their protein powders, pre-workouts, amino acids, and fuel are all NSF certified. That means you can trust everything from Gnarly to be safe, clean, and free of any banned substances. They comply with strict standards and procedures during every stage of the product's development, including unplanned on-site inspections, to ensure you know exactly what you're putting in your body. Fuel better and recover smarter so that you can do more of what you love, running. Go to gonarly.com and be sure to use code GNARLY20 to save 20% off site-wide on your entire order. Now, before you go, I also want to hook you up with some free electrolytes. Our sponsor, Elemental Labs, is offering a free gift with your purchase at drinklmnt.com slash strengthrunning. You'll get a sample pack with every flavor, so you can try them all before deciding what you like best. Right now, I'm on a real watermelon kick. And if that doesn't sound tasty, citrus is my number two favorite flavor. Elemental Labs makes electrolytes for athletes and low-carb folks with no sugar, no artificial ingredients or colors. It's surprisingly delicious. Seriously, everyone who I've given it to loves it. And it can be a helpful way to prevent dehydration this summer. If you sometimes feel overly tired or you get headaches, cramps, or sleeplessness after long runs or workouts, you might have an electrolyte imbalance or a deficiency. Boost your performance and your recovery, especially in the heat this summer, with Elemental Labs. They're the exclusive hydration partner to Team USA Weightlifting, and quite a few professional baseball, hockey, and basketball teams are all on regular subscriptions. Check them out at drinklmnt.com slash strengthrunning to get your free sample pack gift with a purchase and get your hydration optimized for the upcoming summer season. That's our show today, my friends. Thank you for being part of our community and we'll be in touch very soon.